Sometimes I lose things. Sometimes I just think I lose things. I panic either way. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. This week, we will begin a three-week series from the book of Luke entitled Lost Things. A couple of weeks ago, I had spent the day driving around from meetings at church to a meeting at a coffee shop to more meetings and more places, and eventually, I ended up swinging by my house to let our dog out briefly on the way to picking Kenny up at some random road where we left his car so we could drive together in just one car when we met another couple for dinner at about seven. We met them at Cassetta's and parked in their lot. A little public service announcement time here. Some might say it's an ad, but that would imply I'm getting paid to advertise, which I'm not. So yeah, PSA time instead. If you're ever downtown St. Paul, maybe going to a wild hockey game, which is our Minnesota team. That's not a descriptor of this hockey game. Or maybe you're attending a concert or something. Maybe you're just at the XL Energy Center for whatever. You should definitely try to go to Cassetta's for dinner. It's part restaurant, part patisserie, part market. There's really great Italian food. Like their meatballs are amazing. Their sauce is so good. In fact, I'll order a couple of meatballs and just say lots of extra sauce. They have pizza too, but like their lasagna, mustacholi, and sausage and peppers and everything, stuff like that. It's amazing. And then their desserts are beautiful. We've ordered their cakes for special occasions before and their pastries and they have like really great gelato and all kinds of different flavors. And their coffee is Lavazza, which is delicious. And that's in, you can buy it at their adjacent market. They also have amazing bread in their market, like these long French loaves. I'm like way getting off track here, but let me just, they have like long French loaves. They have like these rounded loaves of prosciutto bread. They have a raisin pecan bread, which I love, and olive bread, garlic bread, of course and bunches of others. And then they have like a meat counter and you get their homemade sausages. They have like mozzarella, tomato. And then of course they have like traditional or rosemary sausage and things like that. And of course, all the other pasta dishes you can imagine, but this is not even where I'm going with this right now. Um, Besides now I kind of want to go to Cassettes for dinner, but whatever. Okay. Back up. I'd driven all over the place that day, right? Ended up picking up Kenny near where his last meeting was. And now together we've driven to Cassettes for dinner. Pause. Don't talk about Cassettes. All right. We parked in their lot. They do have free parking too. FYI. And then we walked in just a tad bit late, but we were greeted by our patient and sweet friends. We were really looking forward to a great um, time together with them before they were going to be moving across country. We had a wonderful dinner. Of course, right? How couldn't we there? We had lovely dessert with coffee and sweet conversation. And then we prayed together uh, before we left. We got into my little car and we drove to where Kenny had left his parked. He got out of mine, got into his, and he followed me home. We parked in our garage and I got out and opened up my hatch to take out all my stuff and saw that my briefcase was gone. I looked in the front seat and then I looked in the back seat. In case I put it there, I did not. And then I panicked. 
I remember looking at Kenny as he walked around the side of his car, shaking my head in disbelief. I was like, I lost my briefcase. Oh, I bet it got stolen out of the Cassetta's parking lot. Oh, shoot. Oh, my gosh. I think I left it on the front seat and it got stolen. Did I lock my car? Do you remember if I locked my car? I don't remember if I locked my car. Oh, my Bible's in it. Oh, I can't believe my Bible's gone. And my computer, my computer was in it too. Oh my gosh, I should have saved everything onto a drive. Why don't I save stuff onto a drive? I knew I should have. Oh my gosh, it has all my speaking notes in it. I started remembering everything that was on my computer. <gasps> my licensing paper is on that. How am I going to redo that? Wait, did I print a copy? I could at least start from there, I guess. Oh my gosh, I don't want to buy another computer either. Let me just call Cassetta super quick. So I paused right there in the garage and I called the restaurant. I knew they were closed. They were closed even before we left. They close at nine on weekdays. This is becoming like a Cassetta's thing, but they do. They close on nine on weekdays, but they're gracious and let us stay a little bit longer while they're cleaning up around us. I knew they were closed, but I tried calling them anyway. And someone answered. I told them about my briefcase. I said, I think my briefcase got stolen out of your parking lot. And I asked if they had surveillance. They said they didn't, but that the place next to them did. And maybe it would be on their video footage. They apologized. They said, how oh, sorry they were. Then they hung up. I then decided to call the police because what I had now envisioned was someone stole my briefcase and drove away really fast. They opened it up and then they discovered there is no money in this. Instead, there's just a computer that this person obviously bought at Sam's Club, a Bible, a notebook with pretty much nothing written in it, a couple of theological books and journals, and a bag of lemon drops. <laughs> I just, there, there, that's my briefcase. Not a great haul. I pictured them being mad that they got such a lame briefcase and they threw it out the window as they whizzed along the road. Then I imagined someone finding it and bringing it to the police. And then I imagined that the police saw it and brought it to their dispatch center or something. So I thought what I need to do is call the police and tell them about my lost briefcase. It's probably just sitting right there on a table. All the pieces would fall together. And I'd be reunited with my stuff maybe that night even, or maybe tomorrow. Good idea, I thought, so I called the police. Unfortunately, I didn't know the non-emergency number, which I could have looked up, but I just went straight to 911, justifying that with the fact that maybe my briefcase was stolen by somebody in the middle of a crime spree, so I could prevent a lot more thefts. The dispatcher answered and asked me the nature of my emergency and where it was. I told her all about it. I mean, I didn't back way up. I didn't like go on and on about cassettes or my meetings, all that. I just told her where my car was parked, that my briefcase was stolen. And then I asked if any police officers had called in to report an abandoned one that had a Bible and a computer along the side of the road. No such luck. She hadn't heard anything. Oh, my bubble popped. I was discouraged. I also realized I'd been standing next to my car in the garage during all these phone calls. I think I stayed there so I'd be ready to hop in and drive to wherever they told me I needed to go to get it. That apparently wasn't going to happen. Not today, anyway. I continued to answer the dispatcher's questions as I was walking toward the house. Like I gave her my name and my number and stuff. And as I pushed our back door open and stepped into the kitchen, I saw my briefcase lying in the middle of the counter. I switched gears. I thanked the dispatcher for being so understanding. Told her, oh, no, you don't need to give my name and, and number anymore. Oh, it just turned up right now. And then I hung up. And then I hugged my briefcase. I asked Kenny if he was surprised I wasn't more panicked than I was. <laughs> I could tell he did not know how to answer that question. No matter what was lost was now found. I opened it up and I'm like, oh, nobody stole my Bible. 
I saw my computer and assumed all my files on it were going to be intact. I saw that my books were there and so was my notebook and my lemon drops. I was so excited. Kenny pointed out I did not need to check to see if anything was still in there because it had never been stolen. It was sitting on the counter in our kitchen this whole entire time. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> then I remembered. When I came home to quickly let out the dog, I must have thought it was a good idea to bring my briefcase in with me at that point and leave it at home so it wouldn't get stolen, which was a really good choice. Or else, maybe, and most likely, I just walked in with it absentmindedly and went, oh, why did I bring this in here? And threw it on the counter. Probably that. I called Cassetta's back, told them that I found my briefcase and that I wouldn't be needing to get my hands on the surveillance footage from next door. I told him nobody stole it, that somebody had just forgotten where it was. At that point, they either laughed with me or at me. <laughs> I decided I'm not going to split hairs and try to figure it out. So I decided just laugh with them. Because either way, my lost briefcase was found. I'm not the only one who loses things, I'm sure. In fact, I know I'm not. Have you ever read the book of Luke? Everything's getting lost there. There's a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. I've never lost a sheep before. But the others I can relate to. I mean, I eventually found the money and our son, but that's a story for a different day. For now, I'd love to read Luke 15, 8 through 10. This is the shortest of the three lost parables. But let me back up a bit in this book and set the scene first. Jesus had been walking around and teaching his disciples, but that's not the only interactions he has. One Sabbath we see recorded in Luke 14, Jesus went to eat dinner at the home of a prominent Pharisee. That means the guy is pretty popular. Luke tells us that at this dinner, Jesus saw a man who was suffering with dropsy. Luke, of course, would note this because Luke was a doctor, so he was very specific. Most of us might not know what dropsy is. And in case somebody else is curious, I looked it up. As a kid, I used to think the guy with the withered hand who was healed in Matthew was the same as the guy who was healed with dropsy from Luke. I figured, well, if his hand is withered, he'd probably have dropsy. Like, whoops, can't hold this, drop that. But no, that's not at all what it means. Today, we call dropsy edema, which I am familiar with as an accumulation, not because I have it, but I'm familiar with the term, as accumulation of fluid in a person that causes swelling in the soft tissues, often seen in legs or arms. And according to my sources, this might indicate the person is suffering from congestive heart failure. So that's not good. So Jesus sees this guy with dropsy. And because it was the Sabbath and because the religious leaders had added all kinds of restrictions to their observance of the Sabbath, they were just really trying to keep the command, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, which obviously is a great command because God sent, gave it. But they kept drawing broader and broader and broader circles around it until pretty soon, instead of keeping the Sabbath holy and set apart for God, they made it about keeping the Sabbath about themselves and found great pride in what they did and did not do. And they found great dissatisfaction in what others did. I could go on and on and on about the rules they had about the Sabbath, but that would be a waste of time. Suffice it to say, there were 39 categories regarding working on the Sabbath. Categories, 39 categories. Categories like building, dyeing, chain stitching, demolishing, things like that. Then under these, you would find subcategories. You might find a rule like you can't lift anything heavier than a fig and you can't transfer within domains. I read that and I thought, I'm curious about that. So I looked that one up. In fact, I ended up spending a great deal, almost a day, reading about Sabbath laws because it was just a rabbit hole I couldn't find my way out for hours, not even kidding. But here's an abbreviated 
Transfer within domains. Summary. Here's the definition. I'm reading this. Transferring something from one domain type to another domain type or transferring within a public thoroughfare is prohibited on the Sabbath. All areas are divided into four categories, a private domain, a public thoroughfare, an open area, and an exempt area. Transferring an object from a private domain to a public thoroughfare or the reverse is forbidden. Transferring an object between an open area to a private domain or public thoroughfare is rabbinically prohibited. In addition, transferring an object for a distance of four cubits, which is roughly two yards, six feet about, or more in a public thoroughfare or open area is forbidden. People would find their way around these rules. Hey, okay, I'm going to carry this for about a step, then I'll drop it, and then you do it, and then me, and then you. Suffice it to say, the Sabbath that God had intended for his people in the giving of the Ten Commandments was no longer recognizable by the time the book of Luke was recorded. My point in sharing this is not that we understand domain transfer and more that we note the Pharisees of the day were adding all kinds of Sabbath rules and ironically didn't recognize that the Lord of the Sabbath, the boss of the Sabbath, the creator of the Sabbath and establisher of the Sabbath was standing right there in their midst. So if anyone would know what was permissible to do on the Sabbath, it would be him. So here we are. We have the guy with dropsy and we have Jesus and we have a band of Pharisees carefully watching him. And we have Jesus looking right back at the Pharisees. Jesus speaks first. He asks the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The truth is the Pharisees would say it was unlawful to heal someone unless it was life-threatening. So you couldn't like set a broken bone or something like that. But if someone was dangling over a cliff, you could rescue him. Jesus waited, but they didn't answer. Jesus knew they wouldn't, and he also knew what he was about to do. He looked at the man suffering before him, took hold of him, healed him, then sent him away. And then they ate dinner. (laughs) During dinner, Jesus noticed all the guests, making sure they got the best places to sit. And I don't just mean like they wanted a window seat or a table at the restaurant that, you know, would give them a good view or a good place for conversation. They were picking the places of honor. On the Sabbath, they didn't want anybody healed and they didn't want to carry any packages, but they wanted to make sure that they were getting honored. Jesus noted this, of course, and began telling stories. The first of which started with this. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. (laughs) Not a really thinly veiled, pun intended, moral to this parable. You can read the whole story for yourself in Luke 14, 8 to 14. I'm not reading it right now. Jesus concluded his story with, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He knew what was before him. He knew what was before them. He was letting them know, don't be so concerned about your place at the table. Jesus continued to tell stories about banquets and at this banquet, intending to show the Pharisees that they might just be surprised who finds themselves within the kingdom of God, and they might just be surprised to find out who's not there too. After dinner, Jesus left, and as he traveled about, large crowds continued to follow him. They were enthralled by his teaching, for it had a ring of truth to it. In fact, it had more than a ring of truth. It was all truth, every single word. One particular day, the tax collectors and other sinners were all gathered around to listen to Jesus speak. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were there too, being their regular self-righteous muttering selves. In fact, Luke 15, too, says, 
The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Ironic, isn't it? Didn't he just have dinner with them? (laughs) And aren't they all just a pack of sinners too? Huh, they apparently didn't see it that way. Then Jesus started telling them parables. And I'm going to read here, starting with chapter 15, verse 3, the parable of the lost sheep. So Jesus told them, this crowd following him, including the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. What is Jesus saying here? Is he showing disregard for the 90%? Absolutely not. That's not where the focus of the story lands. The focus is on the rejoicing. And what is the celebration all about? What is Jesus wanting his hearers and also us to take away from the story? There is joy when the lost is found. In the parable of the lost sheep, we see the shepherd going after the one sheep that is lost. He seeks for it until it is found. We know from other passages of of scripture, like Psalm 23, John 10, and others, that God himself is the shepherd and we are the sheep. We can read later on in the book of Luke that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that's exactly what he was doing just then. That's why he was eating with the sinners. It was why the tax collectors and the other sinners, and previously it was the Pharisees eating dinner. Wait, that's why I'm starting there. That's why he was eating with the sinners. Tonight, it was the tax collectors and other sinners. Previously, it was the Pharisees. It's just that the Pharisees didn't think they were the sinners. They saw their dinner differently. Jesus, however, did not. What did the shepherd do once he found his missing sheep? He joyfully put it on his shoulders and brought it home. Then he gathered together his friends and neighbors and invited them all to rejoice with him. Jesus says, this is the way it is in heaven. God himself seeks out and saves the lost and the angels and others rejoice over each one that is found. We see a shepherd that cared about who was lost and did all he could do to find that one lost sheep, which makes sense. The one who loses something is the one who decides its value, right? If I lose a button or a hair tie or my place in the book or whatever, I don't spend much time looking. However, when I lost my briefcase, I did. In fact, it's also true that when I lost my briefcase filled with my computer, books, and notebook, and lemon drops, others might see this stash of a treasure and not see their value. But to me, these things were irreplaceable. I mean, minus lemon drops. I had original thoughts and writings, work, and ideas that held great value to me. And God feels that way about his people. He feels that way toward those who do not yet know him. They are his originals. They're his handiwork. They were his idea, and he wants them to find safety and satisfaction in him. He wants them to find salvation. And when they do, even when one who is lost becomes found, Jesus and all of heaven rejoices. What a great story Jesus told, and what a great idea for us to love others the way Jesus did, and to always keep a proper estimation of ourselves, also sinners, once lost, now found. 